Network interface enabled. Hold, hold. Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast on the Network Interface Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Carlos, and with me is your co-host BJ on this third week of September 2012. Today is a very special episode of Coming Out of the Basement. Our topic is going to be 80s very special episodes. Yes, that disturbing Different Strokes episode. Did you ever watch Different Strokes, BJ? No, actually I didn't. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, that's that's the one to start with, definitely, because Arnold meets a very questionable old man with some very questionable attentions. Uh, there's also the very special Growing Pains episode where Carol's boyfriend died after drinking underage, you know? And, of course, every episode of Blossom was a very special episode, as, as you know. Uh, but instead, let's probably talk about Geek News and Guild Wars. You know, she's awesome in Big Bang Theory. She is. She is very cool. She is very cool. And she's uh, the only one on there who actually has a PhD, which, which yes. makes you wonder, why did she go away from her, I think it's microbiology? Why did she depart the microbiology career to, to start you know, being on the Big Bang Theory? Yeah, uh, who knows? Invited? I don't know. Wanted to yeah. do acting again? It's, yeah. it's hard to say. She's done She's done some interesting things, and she's used her PhD for good and evil in some ways, which we can get into <laughs> sometime. But... Um, so what have you been up to? It's been a, a while since we podcasted last. So I think first and foremost, we need to apologize to the general audience. Not that we have a huge general audience, but um, most of all, I need to apologize to my wife because she's a big fan of, of the series in general. Um, and the I think it's just, you know, I've been busy, you've been busy, um, work's been getting in the way, and, and, and you just finished up your um, your dissertation work and stuff. So, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Yes, um, I, I finished up my qualifying exams. I, oh, I your qualifying my, exams. Yes, I passed my defense last week. I'm like, yay. <laughs> um, and for the most part, it's just been um, – I'm trying to get in shape again, so I'm going to the gym a lot. So by the time I get home and, and I'm pretty worn out and, and podcasting isn't the first thing I want to do, uh, you know, Carlos and I have real lives and real jobs, so we do the podcasting thing as a way of catching up and kind of geeking out a little bit. But, you know, it's not our job. Um, one day we'll retire and become, you know, full-time podcasters. Maybe, <laughs> but for now we have other, other agendas. So, uh, so we have a lot of geek news to catch up on these last couple of weeks. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of different things. I, I broke down some stuff into topics. If you wanted to go about it that way, um, first off, uh, are there any Kickstarter things that are going to be ending soon that you were interested in talking about? Well, I don't know if they're ending soon. Uh, I know, like, uh, one of the big ones that's on everyone's uh, mind right now is the Obsidian Kickstarter. Yes. And that one is where uh, they are asking, you know, the public to... See, this is the weird thing to me, right? Because uh, let's let's kind of dig into, you know, because one of our first, our first podcasts, we talked about Kickstarter, right? Sure. And it was this really cool thing for sort of the indies to get some recognition and get some money to do cool projects. But Obsidian, not an indie developer, right? Right. And there, and there've been lots of non-indie developers who have been uh, taking advantage of Kickstarter to fund some of these things. So do you, do you think it kind of ruins the shine of Kickstarter at all with these bigger companies get involved? To, to, well, no. I'm not so sure about like Obsidian, Obsidian in, in particular and some of these because a lot of these, what they're doing with Kickstarter is making games that they didn't 
think they would be able to make or they couldn't get a distributor for. Mm-hmm. And so they're using Kickstarter to both fund the distribution themselves and to also show people that, hey, there's a market for these things. So uh, uh, Project Eternity is the Obsidian Kickstarter. Uh, it is It has 26 days to go, and it's already raised uh, almost $1.7 million. And, of course, Obsidian are the folks who brought us uh, Fallout, the Temple of Elemental Evil, Neverwinter Nights, Torment. You know, there's a lot of people uh, working there who have done uh, some really great games. So people were really excited about this this upcoming one. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks pretty interesting. It's going to be another RPG. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think having these groups is a bad thing uh, in Kickstarter because it doesn't lock other people out necessarily from... Uh, from doing their own projects, and but and I and it gets I think it gets us some stuff that we might not have seen before. Like I, I talked earlier about White Wolf, right? Uh, old world, old world of darkness stuff. That's the that is the way they are doing it now, right? Going forward, because they want to make sure that they can make money uh, before they even really put resources into it, and that's pretty much the only way we're going to be getting stuff like that. So. So the the heart of Kickstarter is still present there. These are passion projects, passion projects that would not have gotten backed otherwise. Because you know, from from you know Project Eternity, it sounds like an old school kind of isometric game back in the day, like when you played like um, Baldur's Gate and stuff like that. And I don't think games like that get greenlit anymore because they want you to have shiny graphics and first person and you know the, the shadowing and all that good stuff. And so I think the older school isometric games are harder to sell. Right. And so because of that, you know, they're saying, you know, publishers or, or, or producers are saying no. So now Kickstarter comes into play and then the the, the populace, you know, funds it. And, and the thing is, is I, I think that maybe people in the higher ranks don't understand that there is a market for this. Like um, that there are a lot of these indie games that kind of um, like Legend of Grimrock. We've talked about that before, right? Which mm-hmm. is like Eye of the Beholder. It's, it's an updated very shiny version of like some of the very old, like some of the you know original D&D video games that are out there, right? I mean, I remember loading up Eye of the Beholder on floppy disks and stuff and you know, those games were awesome, but nobody would think about making those kind of games anymore because of the advanced technology that we have, right? But right. Legend of Grimrock showed, because they made a ton of money off of that, right? And they're a little indie developer. Yep. It shows that there's an audience. Yes. And and similarly, um, you know, a lot of people have been saying, well, tabletop RPG, RPG gaming is dead. Uh, Monty Cook's one that I talked about last time, Numenera, finished earlier this week. And, you know, it's an indie game that pretty much only had Monty Cook behind it. And it raised more than half a million dollars. So that that is fairly impressive for just an indie RPG kind of thing. So there's definitely market for this stuff, and and I think Kickstarter's been a great way to fund these things. Yeah. So um, okay, so Project Eternity is one of them. So if you're a fan of the old style Baldur's Gate games um, that are multiplayer, let you and your your because that's what we love playing Baldur's Gate for and those type of games because you could experience the entire adventure, the entire story with your friends. So I played it. You know, with Matt and Scott and the guys, and we played through Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and, and all those good things. So uh, that I think there's, you know, that's an important aspect of it because those were some of the first games that let you experience the entire storyline as a team, as a group. Right. And, and, you know, everything nowadays, it seems it's so... MMO-focused, massive multiplayer online games, right? So it's very. it seems like all games now are being directed towards this gigantic uh, scope where... 
when you get in those games, that scope really gets reduced down to a team of about four to five people, right? So there's right. still that group experience that doesn't need a massive multiplayer game to play. You can have it in a smaller format, right? Mm-hmm. And I think some developers are kind of missing that point. Right. And so I think that's what they're trying. That's the niche that they're trying to fill. Um, any other uh, pertinent uh, Kickstarter campaigns that are that are going so, on? So there's a couple I wanted to mention that that might be relevant for this audience. Thirteenth uh, Age, which of course the the core book is not quite out yet for for uh, in hardcover. Uh, they're already doing their second Kickstarter for an expansion book, and it is already. Uh, it has already more than exceeded its goals, but if you're interested in any of those kinds of, uh, if Thirteenth Age sounded interesting to you, which was the RPG uh, by the creators, some of the developers of Fourth and Third Edition, um, their expansion is up and available. The other interesting one was um, there was a Call of Cthulhu module, an old Call of Cthulhu module called Horror on the Orient Express, which was obviously on a train, uh, at least at least a part of it was, and it was well known for its absolute deadliness. It was super popular, but it never got reprinted. So Chaosium, the company that owns the Call of Cthulhu RPG, uh, um, has gone ahead and done a Kickstarter for that. And it's going on for another couple of weeks, and they are going to reimagine and reissue uh, the Horror on the Orient Express module. So it's a very cool module. Definitely, if you're interested in the Cthulhu-type stuff, that's definitely one to check out. And uh, those are really the two that I wanted to mention today. So I, I want to, to put a call out to developers out there. Um, I really want a Mass Effect tabletop RPG. I've been wanting to run one, but there's not an official one out there yet. So if you want to make a Kickstarter, like I'm, I'm calling out to Bioware or whoever, please, 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 somebody make a Mass Effect tabletop RPG because I really want to run a, a, a Mass Effect campaign but there's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about using like the, the D20 Modern or maybe GURPS or something like that but I'm just having trouble finding just the right thing to replicate the importance of technology and biotics and stuff like that so I'm, I'm not that anyone from those companies you know listens to this but I'm just hoping through the gate fine, you know. Right, right, so, right. Pa- pass it along. There's pass it along. I- I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised that there isn't one, or uh, that there hasn't been talk about one. Well, that's the funny thing because there's a Dragon Age tabletop RPG, right? Yeah, and it and it and it does really well. Yeah, and so I'm surprised because I think Mass Effect has been around longer than Dragon Age, so I don't understand why there's a Dragon Age RPG, but not a bi- like not a, a a Mass Effect one. So uh, I, it's confusing to me. I'll have to tell Green Ronin to get right on that and then argue for that. Please uh, do. We'll have to do that. So let's let's uh, move on to RPGs as a topic. Uh, do you have any RPG type news that you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, kind of kind of within the same realm of the Kickstarter RPG stuff, there is the D and D documentary Kickstarter campaign. Yes, and that one got successfully funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, made close to $200,000, which was over its $150,000 limit. Uh, and people were really excited about that because uh, 2014 will be the 40th anniversary of D&D. And, and I love how it's very Gygax-centric, right? Yes. Um, and, and they talk about the development of, of the RPG and stuff like that, but I think it's, it's good that they're paying proper homage to Gygax since he really helped you know, kind of nurture some of this stuff. Because... They, they argue about who really created it, but what really happened was, you know, Gygax, you know, w- served as sort of the granddaddy of it. The just like Stan Lee, Stan Lee doesn't write comics anymore, right? But Stan Lee is sort of the voice of the comic realm, right? And and Stan Lee started up his own um, 
uh, convention, his own sort of Comic Con type thing with Elvira. Did you did you see anything about that? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, so they've started this new comic convention. It's this, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's a, a specific convention that Stanley and Elvira developed together. Um, and I heard some cool stuff. You know, uh, Kevin Smith went down there and did a uh, Fat Man on Batman with Adam West and uh, Burt Ward and stuff. And um, but but my point is that Stanley serves as this this um, voice, this defender of comics, because comics have come under attack on several occasions, right? Um, and so whenever they need someone to stand up and be the defender of comics for its content and stuff like that. Stanley's always been more than willing to do that. And in the same vein, Gygax has always done that. You know, D&D came under attack on multiple occasions for satanic worshipping and all this, you know, stuff. And Gygax never shied away from standing up, being the person to represent the hobby and say, uh, no, we're not, you know, the People who play D&D are not satanic worshippers. We're just nerds who want to have fun, right? So there's a lot to be said for someone who, who takes that level of responsibility for an entire hobby. Yeah, and so, yeah, the creators, going back to uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax, uh, it looks like it interviews a lot of developers and a lot of people who are still around. Uh, yeah, it looks like it'll be really interesting. So I'm looking forward to checking out the documentary when it gets to come out. I agree. Um, any other RPG news from your side? So last time we talked, I did not own the Marvel superhero RPG. That may have changed a little bit. Uh, I haven't had a chance to go over it yet, but they recently came out with their first um, other books, which is all about the Marvel Civil War. I do not have those, but they look kind of interesting. Basically, the first world for the Marvel superhero RPG is going to be the world of Civil War, uh, which I thought was an interesting way to approach it. And it, they've got uh, two different versions of the book out, an Essentials version and a, like, uh, premium version uh, both very similar but one of them has a little bit more info than the other one uh, it looks looks like it'll, it's, it's been getting really great reviews looks like it might be interesting something to check out at some point um, the other thing that I saw recently was that Fantasy Flight as you know now has the RPG Star Wars license and they've decided to go come out with the R- beta RPG so they've come out with the Star Wars RPG beta um, unlike Paizo's, it's not for free, but you can purchase it uh, from your local bookstore because their their store is actually sold out. And the first book of the Star Wars RPG is out. It is called Edge of the Empire. It takes place during um, during the Star Wars kind of kind of area uh, time frame where the Empire is in charge, and you are in the very first book anyway. You're playing people at the, who are around the outer edges of the universe, kind of trying to uh, either fight the Empire or stay out of the Empire's way. Um, it, I haven't had a chance to look at it too much. I don't own the book, but I did, I did look at it a bit at the store. And one of the interesting things about it is it does use the regular gamer dice that we're used to, but it doesn't put numbers on them. They are all symbol dice. So I'm not entirely sure how that's going to play out. Uh, from what I saw, you know, they, they, they give you stuff to cut out and put on your dice, which I don't know, don't think that would work very well. Uh, I assume they're going to be selling dice at some point that are specific for this game, and they sell apps for iOS and Android to use these things. It looks like the classes, uh, they don't have Jedi as a class, although it looks like people can be Force-sensitive, but class are stuff like explorers, bounty hunters, colonists, uh, stuff like that. Uh, not quite sure how the game mechanics are going to work. I know that there are six dice that are used. Three of them are good, three of them are bad. And kind of, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on that. It's been going on, I think it's in its third week now. 
for this beta test, and I'm going to start to take a look at uh, what people think about it. I haven't heard, I hadn't actually known that it was out until I saw it at the store. Is it wrong of me to think that that's a bit of like a money grab from their perspective? Because it feels like they're trying to control the dice mechanics. Because if you have to use specialty dice, that, that rules out all other companies that make their own dice, right? Yes. No, that that seems that seems fairly reasonable way to interpret that. I mean, and it's certainly for convenience sake. Yes, you can associate numbers with symbols and say, like, one means this symbol and so on. But, yeah, it does seem kind of like a, an odd way to approach things. Um, the other thing is, of course, that they're selling – this is the beta game, the beta first book, and they're selling it for $30, which is, you know, a price for a regular RPG. So presumably when the actual one comes out, you'll have to buy the actual one also. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange move on Fantasy Flight's part, I think. I mean, I'm glad they're doing a beta. kind of wish it had been more of an open beta in, than, than it has been. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens moving on. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just doesn't insp- – I mean, I, I, I like that they're kind of restricting Jedi because, let's face it, that was kind of the problem in the, the other one that we've been you know played before, that when you were a Jedi, just like things were way, way out of balance, right? Yep. And and so that's always been the problem of Star Wars, and that you want Jedi to be special, but then when you play Star Wars, like everybody wants to be a Jedi, right? And so it, it takes away from the specialness of them. Or if you're not a Jedi, you know the Jedi in the party outshines everyone else. Yeah, because the the Jedi are the you know the Deus Ex Machina or whatever the the people who can do anything, right? You know, oh, I, I force trick him or I force jump or I for, you know you can do anything you want as long as you put the word force in front of it, right? And we dig that in the movies, but it's a very hard mechanic to implement in a game, right? Such as like when you play a superhero RPG. Playing Batman is cool because Batman is hard, you know, in that he's a normal guy trying to keep up with everyone. Playing Superman, however, is a cheat, right? Because Superman can do all this other stuff, right, and is invulnerable and all that good stuff. So it's you don't you try to keep people away from playing a Superman type character and kind of steer them towards more of a Batman type character because it's you know not balanced at all. So it's it's the same problem with the Jedi stuff, right? Uh, let's see. Other than Star Wars, uh, coming out of the basement.com, Derek recently put up a review on Green Ronin, uh, their Song of Ice and Fire RPG. So that's definitely one to check out. He, he seemed to think it was pretty interesting. Uh, I have, I do not own that one either. So, uh, I will look at that at some point in the future. I really want to hear it because I, I know I got all the DC RPG stuff and that's sort of based off of the old D20 system, which I enjoy, but I really want to hear your feedback on the Marvel one because, um, I, I, I want to keep doing it like another superhero campaign. I want to see if the Marvel one does a better job for power mechanics and all that good stuff. Yeah, I've heard that it's vaguer about power, power mechanics, but I don't know what that means yet. So yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at that hopefully for next time. Cool. We need a review. We need the the Carlos review of the Marvel, right. you know, new RPG. So. So let's move from tabletop games to video games. I know we have, we have both had stuff we wanted to talk about. Tons of news going on in the video game arena. Um, first of all, uh, the Bioware founders, uh, two of the Bioware founders are retiring after 17 years in the industry. Yep, Ray Musica. I'm not sure how to say his name exactly. And uh, uh, Greg... Musica, yeah, I think that's his name. Musica and Greg Zetchuk. Yeah. Yep, and they were two of the three original founders of Bioware, the only ones who are still there. Uh, and Bioware actually has a really interesting history that I hadn't really realized. The, the, guy, the three people who founded it were uh, doctors, right? And they, they programmed during medical school. 
and they really liked RPGs and video games, and they decided to come out with their, you know, their their first game, which was a mecha type game uh, called Shattered Steel, which which was a pretty decent game. And then they came out with Baldur's Gate right after that. So, and then we of course all know Baldur's Gate. So yeah, Bioware itself has a really interesting history, and this is really kind of the passing of uh, something big in, in the industry. Now, I, I when when I gave my Mass Effect review, I, I took a lot of heat because people thought I was a little too negative, a little too harsh. Um, I, I did say several times within the Mass Effect review that I loved, you know, ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the Mass Effect three game, but the, the the last part that was so bad left such a bad taste in your mouth, and that's what really kind of ruined it for me. Recently, you know, in in their last three games, you know, Bioware really took a you know a punch in the face, right? There was a lot of negativity towards Dragon Age two. Um, I didn't hate Dragon Age 2, but I definitely understood the um, negativity towards it because in Dragon Age 1 you had just so much choice and so much variety, and they really just you know kind of dumbed that down a lot and, and took away a lot of your choice and a lot of right. your variety. I, yeah, I agree. Dragon Age, I love Dragon Age 1. Dragon Age 2 was okay, but I didn't care about it enough to finish it. Yeah, I was really because like I thought it was going to be like Mass Effect. I could continue my character storyline and really get into what my character was doing in that realm. And instead, you get introduced to Hawk, a brand new character that you're not involved in whatsoever. And it, it really feels like you're kind of in an on the rails type of storyline. Right. There's there's not a whole lot you can do with it. So I still enjoyed it, but I, I understood what people were complaining about there. Um, and then. We've already talked about the Mass Effect Three. Mass Effect Three was was had such a negative, so negative that the you know the Better Business Bureau had to weigh in on it. Right when you've got the Better Business Bureau weighing in on your game, saying yeah you fa- you falsely advertised the game. Yeah, that's some really bad bad negative you know feedback going on there. And um, it, it, let's face it, Star Wars: The Old Republic is just not doing as well as they hoped it would. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that was the other one. You know, and so they've had three back-to-back pretty significant punches. Do you think that has anything to do with these guys retiring? Well, uh, so as you as you know, EA bought uh, Bioware some years ago, and they have denied that. But it's it's hard to say. I mean, they they and the, the guys themselves say no. They just want to move on. Uh, and but it's interesting that they're both moving on at the same time. Yeah. And and you know, so it could be related. I think Musica is going to do promoting educational health animal rights charities, which is cool. And Zestruk is going to be entering the craft beer industry. So I I heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna make a show called a web based show called The Beer Diaries. Uh, apparently that guy really likes his beer. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Uh yeah, I don't know what it portends for Bioware. They also announced Dragon Age three. At, at around the same time, and and I'm already hearing a lot of hype. Um, like I, I read the GameSpy article, and, and a lot of people are saying that you know this the Dragon Age three is their make or break it, right? That they've lost a lot of good because it used to be from the community any Bioware game pre-order. You didn't even have to like know what the title was if it was made by Bioware pre-order. Exactly. And a, and a lot of people are kind of taking that away now. They're like, I'm going to wait to see what the reviews are saying. I, yes. I burn. I'm that way, right? I hate to be that way because I love, you know, I love the Mass Effect universe, right? But I, I am now that way also because I, I kind of feel like I've been burned three times also. So I'm not going to pre-order Dragon Age 3. For the first time, I'm not going to pre-order a Bioware game. I'm going to wait to see what the general consensus is. Yeah, I mean, I don't own Mass Effect three at all, and partly that's because of Dragon Age two. Uh, and since you know I didn't have time, I have to choose my things very carefully. And 
I don't want to put money down for something that's going to be really disappointing. See, that's why I want to run the Mass Effect three. I want to run the Mass Effect campaign because I want to do the Mass Effect story, but do it my way and give the proper ending, so you get a good experience from it. Oh, so uh, so we get to play the Star Child? Is that? Oh no 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 no! no. <laughs> I would kidding. I would not do that to you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Did did, uh, did you have anything else to say about that? Because there's another bit of sad news since the last we talked. What what sad news? Paragon Studios shutting down. No more City of Heroes. Oh my god, that made me so sad. Yeah, I mean, City of Heroes was a great game. Uh, it, you know, uh, I know we had a lot of fun in it. I had, and you know, I I played it for a while. I know you all played it for a while. I played with you all for a while, um, and I played with a lot of folks. And it had such a great community and people do, making like the radio station and you know a lot of different stuff. It, it was just so much fun. So it's really sad to see that NCSoft is going to be shutting it down soon. And it had my favorite class of any art, uh, any of any MMO. The the mastermind class was my favorite class I've ever played. Right, I really enjoyed the variety of pets. Right, you know, and the the number of pets. You know, they were masters of PVE. They they weren't very good in PvP, but they were masters of PVE, which is fine. Right. Right. I think I think it's good to have that kind of balance. Right. That they very good. You know, very good in PVE, but. They they kind of they sucked in PvP because all you had to do was kill the mastermind and the pets would just automatically go away, right? So right. I'm okay with that balancing factor, and you know that's why I kind of gravitate towards stuff like you know necromancers or what have you because I get to summon a lot of pets, but it's never quite the same because the necromancer pets are always like disgusting as hell. Um, <laughs> no, it was yeah I agree that was a very good a very good class and no there was just it was a lot of fun really unique it was the first of the superhero MMOs did a really good job with it. And it proved that a superhero. I proved it was one of those games that proved the theory that not all games have to be fantasy based, right? Right. That we've had so many games that are like, I'm tired of elves, right? I'm just so tired of elves and dwarves. I can't express how tired I am of it. When, when even though I love Dark Age of Camelot, that game like just wearied me because literally one of the faction was small, medium, and large elves, right? The, the the Hyberia um, faction was just just like all elves, and I I was just getting very tired of fantasy based you know MMOs, and then we had Star Wars come out Star Wars Galaxies which didn't help at all right it did not help the theory that you know you can do a, a sci-fi game because I'm sorry but Star Wars Galaxy just wasn't very good right? I n- I never played it but I do know people who really liked it so I don't know I can't can't say on that. But um, and then you know Eve came along. Eve pr- uh, proved that you could do a um, a multiplayer, a massive multiplayer, um, space flight sim, and that was really cool. But it was City of Heroes that said, you know what, you can do this kind of niche genre as a superhero can you know game. And from that, we got um, oh, what was that you know that other one they did? Was it um, not uh. Another uh, superhero Champions, MMO, Champions Champ- Online. Champions mm-hmm. Online. And Champions Online, I, I wouldn't say it was a right step, a step in the right direction, but DC Universe Online was pretty f- freaking awesome. Yeah, and Marvel RPG is coming out soon. MMO is coming out, uh, and it's going to start free-to-play. Uh, and I've heard some pretty good things about it so far. Yeah. So, it is sad. I, I have half a dozen max-level characters. and Yeah, and City of Heroes had... And one of the things about City of Heroes, had one of my favorite character creators... 
Uh, I think it, it, it was a really, I mean, the game came out in 2004 and it's really hard to match its character creation options and looks and, uh, and how much customization you can do with, with both, you know, any, everything about your character, costume, looks, everything. I, I still am really impressed with the city of heroes, city of villains system there. And, even though you would say the graphics look dated, the the level of versatility makes up for that because you can literally be just about anything you want, and and that makes up for you know the they may be a little dated, but that's fine. Right. So yeah, sad to see one go, but you know what? We knew this had to ha- start happening, right? I mean, at some point they're gonna close the doors on more and more of these these things when they stop stop being profitable, right? Right. Yes, yes, that is true. And I'm trying to, I was looking around at games that came out 2004, 2005. Uh, EverQuest 2 is still around. WoW is still around. Guild Wars has a new iteration, but the first one still, you can still go on and play. Uh, but there's not really too much else that I can think of. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Other video game news. Uh, Borderlands, 2, uh, Borderlands 2 came out. That's what I hear. I have not uh, checked it out. Yeah, I'm kind of holding off on that one. There's a lot of hype around it, and I've, I've read some positive reviews, but when I played the first Borderlands, like, the first half of the game was really cool, but it just lost steam on the second half, and I got really tired of the repetitive nature of it, right? And so I'm, I'm hoping... I'm, I'm going to wait to see some Metacritic reviews and stuff like that, because I just want to make sure that it's not one of those games that gets stuck in a very repetitive cycle for the levels and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I, I understand. I never played Borderlands. Uh, I might now, now that the game is, I'm not sure if it's free or cheap or something. Uh, someone keeps on sending me stuff about it. So I might check it out, but uh, really all my time in games is taken up by a couple of other things. Uh, we're going to talk about Guild Wars a bit later on. I'm still playing The Secret World. Uh, I still really like The Secret World. Uh, I think it's a really, really great and innovative game. It's not doing that well, unfortunately, uh, but it is a lot of fun, and it's probably one of my favorite MMOs of all time, I have to say. Um, and recently started looking at WoW again because the Mist of Pandaria is coming out. Uh, and, of course, whenever whenever a new expansion comes out, people come back you know, to a certain extent to check it out. A, a lot of people do, and I'm one of them. I never actually ended. Our subscription hasn't, hasn't actually lapsed. We just don't play it very often, Holly and I. But we're going back and checking it out. Um, I logged on for the first time in a while yesterday, and there have been a lot of changes to WoW since the last I got on. Uh, they have a new patch, uh, 5.0.4, and the talent tree is completely redone, and the glyph system is completely redone. Um, we'll see how it plays out. The, the new powers and the new talents are pretty interesting. Uh, the new glyphs are pretty interesting, so I'm kind of looking forward to checking out what's going to be happening with Pandaria. They also seem to have done a graphics overhaul and I think it's a combination of both. I have a newer computer than last I played it, and they actually did something pretty substantial with graphics. So we'll see. I mean, I know I know. WoW is the 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 old grandfather of RPG of uh, MMOs at this point in time, and a lot of people are kind of tired of it. But uh, I'm going to check it out because I, you know, logging back in definitely it definitely has a certain amount of a nostalgia factor. But uh, it it is it is still a fun game. So we'll see we'll see what happens. Did they, when you say they updated the graphics, did they, like, update, like, the old racial, um, uh, like, models and stuff like that? Because I, I always got tired of, like, you know, seeing, like, Blood Elves look really cool because they had advanced graphics, but then you, like, do a Night Elf and they're still pretty blocky and stuff. I actually don't know. I didn't, okay. I, I'm not entirely certain. I, but I know, I know the, everything in the world looks a lot sharper, so I wouldn't be shocked if they did. I'll have to take a look at my Night Elf. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. 
So let's weigh in because I, I I saw the updates. I, I did a read up on the uh, the talent system that they're trying to remodify, mm-hmm. and I, I have concerns with it. And and here are my concerns in a nutshell. We played Diablo three, and Diablo three didn't live up to the expectations. In fact, there was that's one of the things we I think we didn't talk about was there was some drama regarding Diablo three because the original creator of Diablo has some criticisms about it, right? And and they, but they were well thought out and well articulated criticisms, right? Where he was like, well, uh, you know, there are some, I think there are some issues with the inventory system and some issues with this and the other. He he didn't say something, you know, grotesque or anything like that. He he had very pointed, and, and let's be frank, very true concerns about it. And then the Diablo three creators kicked back and said, you know, uh, they said fuck that loser or something like that on the yes. Twitter account, right? Which yep. You know, is not responding in the adult fashion. I'm not one to criticize. My wife will, will tell everyone I'm not the most mature man out there. But you know, let's let's be honest. You know, when his comments were, you know, pointed but you know restrained, right? You know, he was being he had good points and they were well articulated, and he wasn't being you know verbally abusive about it. And then their response is that it doesn't that doesn't show well on on the uh, the creators. But I understand why they're being that kind of knee-jerky, because they've gotten a lot of criticism for the game, right? Yep. And part of my criticism of the game is is beyond that, I felt their talent system in Diablo 3 was so very generic. Like, I didn't, I didn't feel very different from any other... I played a Barbarian, I didn't feel like my Barbarian was particularly different from any other Barbarian. The, the, the specking felt very dumbed down. Right. And it seems that that's the type of specking they're doing in uh, the uh, the new expansion, this new update. So this is this is what's different now. And some of this had been had been the the, the last big talent tree revision, some of this had gotten implemented in that. This is what happens now. You, you when you get to a certain level, you choose one of the basically talent tree paths. And that will set you up with some of the talents just automatically, that like about five or six of them that you get for going on that path. Um, one change is that druids now have a fourth. They have four now. So apparently a druid can actually do anything now. They can do physical damage ranged, magic ranged, healing, or tanking. They have a tree for each of those, which is kind of astonishing. Uh, but once you choose those t- that talent tree, you get a certain amount of those set. Then you have basically five choices after that. Uh, you know, every so many levels, you get a choice of a new power. These are the powers are tend to be actually, for what I've seen so far, they are very different from each other. So, so that choice, they're trying. I guess they're trying to make the choice meaningful in some ways. So, for example, as a shadow priest, you can choose to, uh, or actually, as any priest, because no matter what your class, it just thematically it seems to fit better with the shadow priest. But no matter what your class, you can choose to get shadow these shadow tentacle type things, or you can uh, mind control instead. So there's there's these very different options that you have with these talents. Uh, it is simplified in a lot of ways. When I was messing around with it yesterday, I actually kind of like some of the things that they've done, and I liked some of the talents that I was playing. And again, I usually play a priest, and I was I was looking at my holy priest uh, on that system. So we'll see. I'll see how it works out with some other with other classes. For my priest, I thought the changes were pretty neat. Um, you get some there. They have implemented some new and interesting powers that did not exist before. So uh, I will let you know how it goes moving forward, and then I'll probably end up making uh, a new character come next week. Is my guess. Okay. Uh, and and like I said, I, I I've only read up on it. 
so I haven't actually played it, but that was sort of my first initial reaction was oh, just, the other, yeah. just from a, uh, an outsider perspective, after playing Diablo 3, I'm very worried about a dumbed-down talent tree system. Yeah, I understand completely. I agree with you with Diablo. It did not feel at all like like, the, like Diablo 2. You did, it did feel like your choices really didn't have a lot of meaning and didn't weren't all that different, and you were really limited in what you can do. I haven't found that so far, but of course it's just been a day since it's been released, but so far I haven't found that to be a big problem. I have to re- relearn how to play, though, so I'll get back to you later. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, though, with that with that graphics re, re, uh, revision, some powers actually look really cool now. And the example I'm going to give that I had was the chakra. So priests have this this thing called a chakra where they can move into different states and they can cast spells based on what state they're in. And this is an older an older thing that they did. But before, when you did like the big area heal, it was this kind of fuzzy circle and it didn't really look like anything and it was really dull. But now it's this really awesome chakra on the ground big glowing symbol thing and it looks it looks really excellent so i was i was impressed by that i am impressed by the shinies so awesome let's see other news uh movies i hear you went to the movies recently so scott and i went to the movies um you'll remember scott he did one of our guest hosting appearances um we went to go see resident evil the new one um i think it's called resident evil retribution um and so if I I have an affection for Milijovic, uh, of which my loving wife um, kind of supports, right? She bought me a life-size Mila picture that sits in my office um, that she nicknamed the other woman. Um, <laughs> I had not heard that. You, had, you haven't have you? No. You've, my, you've never seen my life-size Mila picture? <laughs> no. Okay, so next time you're over here, you'll have to yes. see that. So it's in my office. And um, the the joke was that even in my fantasy girls, I'm still monogamous, right? Because for my entire existence, you know, I've been you know a a Mila loyal fan. Uh, and so because of that, I feel a you know need to go see every Resident Evil movie that comes out, no matter how terrible they are. And this one was bad, right? I heard I heard it's been the highest rated of any of the Resident Evil movies, which is kind of funny. You know, the first Resident Evil movie was actually really good. I really enjoyed the first Resident Evil movie. There was, you know, good twist to it, you know, good action, good suspense. You know, the zombies were good and everything. So after that, it just kind of took a downhill spiral. This one, it was really awkward. The gunfights and the fight scenes, it didn't make a whole lot of sense where they were, you know. And and it ended, the movie ended almost exactly the same as the last movie ended, you know, with everything just going to hell again, right? And a very obvious sequel being set up. So it was just not good times. But here's the ironic thing. Even though it was so bad, it was so bad it was kind of good, right? You know, because you sit there and you get a good laugh out of just how ridiculous it is. And this is, you know, it, we're being released at the same time. Like, have you seen the words? The, I that, have. That, what is that? It, the words, it's with uh, Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Irons. It's uh, Bradley Cooper plays a struggling writer, and he finds some um, you know, handwritten book from a, a long time ago, and he pretends that he wrote it. And, oh, gotcha. you know, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this story within a story within a story type thing. Mm-hmm. So this is, it was supposed to be an Oscar contender, and, and you know, it's supposed to be very deep and meaningful. And it's got like a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. They, people are like, it's too complicated, too convoluted. It's trying to be too smart when it's actually not that smart. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a lower rating than Resident Evil. And I thought that was funny because you know the people who wrote the Resident Evil movie knew it was going to be kind of a bad movie. And they're like, eh, we'll just have fun with it, right? Gotcha. And the people who wrote the words were like, we're writing the great American movie, right? They, there was probably a, 
I'm, I'm willing to bet a fairly pompous attitude around it because it, it, it comes across as a, a bit of a pompous movie. And then, so it's just, it's, I find it kind of ironic that it's like got one third, the, the rating that uh, resident evil has. Mm-hmm. And you know, that writer has to be pissed about that. It'll be fun. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I probably not going to go see it at the movies, but it sounds like it might be a contender for, you know, Netflix or, or one of those people getting together and making fun of something type things. I, I do. We do own all of the resident evil movies on blu right in my house. I did not know that about you either. I have yeah. a, a, a new impression of you. Um, you know, one movie that I wanted to see, but I have not seen, and I was going to check if you had was the possession, which is co-produced by Sam Raimi. No, I don't really, I don't get into those movies because I feel like the definitive movie has already been done. It's, it's hard after you see the exorcist, I'm sorry, but all of those movies kind of pale in comparison. Even today, even though The Exorcist is like 30 years old. Oh, no, it's more than 30 years old, isn't it? Uh, I, yeah, I'd have to go sure. check. But even though it's it's an older film, that movie still holds up incredibly well. And, wow. And, the Exorcist, the book, came out in 71. The Exorcist, the film, came out in 73. So, yeah, wow. So, 40 years old. Yeah. So, okay. So that movie is an older movie, but it's still the definitive possession movie, right? And once you see that film, and you, I, I mean really see it in a dark room, late at night, nothing around you, it is a creepy fucking movie. And I think all other movies that, of that same genre just kind of pale in comparison. Yeah, it is It is a really good movie. I, I, I really like The Exorcist. enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, and as a standard, yes, very. it is really hard to approach that as a possession movie. And it doesn't help that most of, the, the, most of these movies that have come out have just been terrible. They have just not been good at all. So uh, I, I still like, I still watch them. I still, I'll still see The Possession at some point in time. But yeah, it, it is, I agree. It's really hard to hold up to, to The Exorcist. I mean, other movies like... Um... What was that one, uh, the one with the, the camera that was set up to kind of monitor things? Um, Paranormal Activity? That one is, is a little bit different because they got sort of a, a niche going, right? They got sort yeah. of a, a gimmick going. So stuff like that's okay. But even though then, Paranormal Activity is being redone and redone and redone and redone, and, and it's wearing itself thin, right? Uh, I, I still go to The Exorcist as being, you know, I, and I still do those kind of jokes, right? You know, so we've, when we got a problem at work, you know, and people are like, Ben, how are we going to solve this? I go, well, first we're going to need to get an old priest, old priest and a young priest. priest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, but again, you know, the, the, even though it's, it's has kind of low budget graphics, it doesn't have any of the CGI stuff because 40 years ago, but you know, the split pea soup still nice and freaky and stuff. So yeah, if, if you've never seen the exorcist, right. Go see The Exorcist. It is what created this genre. That's you know, and it's it is its own genre now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, definitely. It definitely is its own little subgenre of horror. There, um, yeah, it is a must see. I agree. And and it, it, I think it does well to frame that type of movie so you understand what these other films are trying to do because a lot of these films are trying to mimic that original horror that was presented in the exorcist and some of them do well but I, none of them really do as well as the original in my opinion yeah so i i will watch that at some point and i'll let people know how it is i've got actually one of these days i want to do an episode on uh on on these horror movies because occasionally you'll find some that are at least interesting and, and and i think worth watching i think paranormal activity is worth watching uh the third one in particular but uh the yeah but a lot of them are, are just terrible and like a haunting of connecticut that was an awful movie 
Oh, boy. But anyway, uh, so some other news. I don't know if you heard, but they're still talking about doing a new Indiana Jones movie. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, they're still talking about doing another one. Do you think they've learned the lessons of the last one? No, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here, here. Okay, so they, there's been some interviews with Steven Spielberg about it. And Steven Spielberg, I think, has been kind of honest. You know, when he was, you know, they asked him about all the alien stuff, and he was like, well, Lucas is kind of responsible for that. He was one really pushing for the aliens. Yes. But then they talked to him again, what about the refrigerator, the nuclear blast? And Spielberg owned up to it, and he says, okay, that one was mine. I really wanted to do that. I thought it'd be cool, and it didn't work out as well as I thought it would. So I think there's, I think there's some humility being developed by just how utterly awful the the three um, trilogy movies were and then how bad uh, the Indiana Jones movie was. What they really need to do is do a passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. Freaking Ford too old for this. I'm sorry. Right. As much as I hate to say that Ford is just, you know, that was the weird thing. When you watch, Go back, as as much as I hate to recommend this, go back and watch the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Anytime you see Harrison Ford head-on, he's got a limp, which is expected because he's an older guy, right? But he's got a bit of a limp going on. He's got a bum right knee. But anytime you see Harrison, you know, you see the Indiana Jones character from behind during an action film, all of a sudden he's limber as hell, and he's running around and jumping over boxes and stuff like that. So the use of the stunt double becomes painfully obvious at that point. That is funny. So I, I think, and, and here's what I would have done. And, and this is what I would have done just because it would have been honoring the storyline. I would have, um, I would have passed the torch on to short round, right? Have short round come back into the, the series, right? Cause we're, we're led to believe that Indiana Jones has this Katie never heard about and kind of reintroducing, you know, this character that, that was never in the other three films. So, he doesn't have any connection to them and, and very little connection to the loyal audience. Bring back Short Round. And I know people think that Temple of Doom was kind of a weak one, but Temple of Doom was still a fun movie, right? Bring yeah, him, I, I love Temple of Doom, yeah. Yeah, bring him in, have him be grown up, have him be pissed at, you know, Indy for abandoning him or something like that. And, you know, Indiana Jones reason, his reason could be, you know, he was tired of putting this kid in danger, you know, sort of the, give him like the Batman attitude, right? That Batman's like, why am I making Robin like take down these armed criminals? Am I insane? Right. And, and Indiana Jones can have that same attitude. Like I'm making this little kid, you know, go through these adventures that almost kill us. And, and he's like 12. That's not right. So, you know, as a sense of responsibility, he, you know, leaves Short Round to, you know, have a, a, a fulfilling life. But Short Round is really just pissed because he feels like he's abandoned and have them make up and get together and, and, and the passing of the torch. Right. I think that would have been. Well, much there, you, more... there you go, BJ. Get started writing on that script. Dude, I could I, you kid, but I could do it because I got I got an idea in my head, you know, City of Atlantis, you know, the all this good stuff. I, I don't you think that that would be not just a more touching movie, but also a movie that brings the series together that people can then relate to better. It's so much better than the crystal skull idea. I think you should totally go for that. It just, the whole thing with um, Shia LaBeouf felt awkward, right? Yes. And uh, because we're, we have these characters that get, you know, 
kind of established within this world. And then all of a sudden we're introduced to this kind of greaser type of character that is very much not Indiana Jones and, and kind of came across as a little dumb. And then the whole sword, I, I am, I'm sorry, but it's, I, I'm trying not to get off on a rant here, but it's just, the problem is, is that it felt like they were not doing an Indiana Jones movie, that they were doing something else and they just stuck Indiana Jones on top of it so that the audience would go see it, right? Who knows? I, you know, I like the download draft house has, uh, Indiana Jones trilogy marathons now. Mm. Then yep. they just leave off the fourth one. <laughs> what 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 fourth one? That's kind yeah. of their attitude. Yeah. So yeah. But I, you know what? Here's the sad thing. They're getting the Highlander two treatment. Right. I know. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I know we're not supposed to talk about Fight Club, but there was a Highlander two movie that was fucking horrible. I saw it at the theater. Yeah. And, and it completely abandoned a whole bunch of the conventions of the first one and made them like aliens from another dimension. Aliens from the planet Zeist sent through time. Yeah, right? And so all of a sudden you're watching Highlander 2 and you're like, what the hell is going on? None of this makes any sense. This this isn't this isn't Highlander. This isn't what we were sold in the first one. It doesn't have any of the mystic nature or anything like that. What is going on? And it was so bad, so utterly bad, that they completely ignored it for the rest of the Highlander stuff. So they've made additional Highlander movies in the Highlander TV show. None of them reference Highlander 2. Exactly. Right? And I, and so that's what they need to do with the fourth Indiana Jones series uh, movie, is just ignore that it happened and make another movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Son, son? What son? <laughs> yeah. It's like, huh? Like, yeah. About, you know. So I, that's what needs to happen. I agree. Yeah, I don't. We'll see. I don't. I don't think that is likely to happen. But uh, especially with Lucas involved. But it would be nice to get something good out. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see if it's even possible. I, I'm honestly not sure. I'm kind of torn about it. On the one hand, Indiana Jones, awesome. On the other hand, the Crystal Skull. Uh, so yeah, I get where you're coming from. I, I just. As a loyal fan, I think there's a good story to be told there, but I feel like these movies get too wrapped up in ego right. from Lucas and Spielberg, right? Yeah. And that's that's not to say that they have good ideas. Like uh, Eight Millimeter, you know, Super Eight was a good movie, and it felt like Sp- Steven Spielberg was trying to go back to kind of the Goonies type thing, but he didn't make a Goonies two. He had another independent. Like let's say Super Eight instead of being Super Eight was Goonies two, it would have felt very out of place. Right. It and was a good movie. Didn't was, need the Goonies. All right. It was a good movie on its own merit. So if you right. want to make a movie about the aliens, you know, alien artifacts and stuff like that, fine, make that movie. But you don't need to stick Indiana Jones on top of it to make us swallow it. Right. Other movie news. Michael Dorn got interviewed recently. Really? And he is apparently working on the new Castlevania movie. What? Yes, there is a Castle Media movie coming out, and it's being directed. This is kind of weird, and I'm not sure how to feel about this, but it's being directed by James Wan, who is one of the people who directed or who created Saw. Mm-hmm. So, and and apparently it's not. It's not a Saw type like gore movie, and we don't know a whole lot about it except except for that, and that Michael Dorn is coming out on it. But yeah, so they're making a Castlevania movie, and this is one of those things that they've been trying to do since, you know. 
maybe almost 10 years ago now they've been trying to make a Castlevania movie and it keeps on you know getting the rights get bought and elapse and get transferred and blah 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 but no actually it seems to actually be being made now yeah well it's like the the Cowboy Bebop movie they've been kicking that around forever and then Keanu Reeves is attached but every time they bring in a new draft they're like oh this is going to cost us 300 million dollars to make and and it's an unproven right um you know even though it's popular with anime fans it's a niche still so it's you know not enough to fork over 300 million for so now Michael Dorn that kind of opens us up to Star Trek talk right it does go ahead so, have you heard what NASA's working on? Oh, no, I had a different Star Trek news. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> oh, that, oh yes, I did. Go ahead. So, this is, you know, the, the, I, I want this to highlight how much these type of stories or these type of, of you know, media, uh, these outlets, you know, really affect us in real life. NASA is working on a real warp engine. Yes, I did read that recently. It's it's the the way it works is it consumes a low amount of energy to create these bubbles that you know kind of push us along right kind of like why do, and that's what they explain warp drives in in uh, Star Trek that it creates a wave that you you ride right and instead of creating a wave it's creating these these um bubbles and that um, kind of push us along faster than the speed of light right right so the and the catch is of course is that you have to try to do this without violating special relativity in which faster, you know, faster than light space travel shouldn't be possible. But they do have some theories that try to incorporate that with these kinds of bubbles that still work within special relativity or general relativity um, that, that they've been arguing about. And, you know, relatively new, this is, this is turn of the century, even like physics theory that it, that it might even be possible, but basically trying to work within the framework to, modify space-time in the bubble type of thing you're talking about. Yeah, and, and travel possibly faster than light. It, it's it's all very, you know, theoretical now. But yeah, it is an active project that NASA is pursuing. Well, I mean, it, we're, we're going beyond the theoretical point. They're trying to build this thing. Uh, yes. And so, I mean... Okay, so let me, let me kind of diverge a little bit. Apple's been winning all of these, you know, patent things that are, are bringing... You know, a lot of woe to. I think it's like Samsung or stuff like that. You know that they're they're winning these tablet uh, patents and they're going to to you know court and stuff like that. And and Apple's claiming you know we created this thing. Uh, no, they didn't. Right? These type of things have been around since 2001: A Space Odyssey, since Star Trek. You know, this stuff has been around for a while in the realm of science fiction. Right? We've seen them in the science fiction genre. Right? A cell phone is a freaking tricorder. The fact that I can get my cell phone out and go to Wikipedia and look up whatever, you know, I can look up what the uh, the temperature is in Zimbabwe or something like that, right? It, uh, effectively, a cell phone is a tricorder, and it kind of, I, I am willing to put, you know, a dozen donuts out there that, you know, stuff like that really influenced how this technology has evolved, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think it's really cool that TV shows, you know, like this, they they set this kind of goal that then, you know, the scientists and stuff, people much smarter than you and I say, maybe we can do that, right? And so if, you know, this type of space travel becomes a reality in our lifetime, I mean, that's huge, Mm -hmm. right? And, And I don't think it'll solve 
um, intergalactic travel, but it'll definitely solve interstellar travel, right? That's one of the things that they've been having trouble with. They want to send a mission to Mars, but, you know, they, um, so they, they've done a couple tests because the astronauts would have to be in this contraption for, like, it's eight months there, eight months back, or something crazy like that, right? Mm-hmm. And they've done some long-term testing, having astronauts be in these kind of closed confinements. It was done, I think, in Russia, and they did a test here in the United States also, having astronauts live in a small, confined space like that for eight months. They're they're still on the planet, right, but they're in a a hangar or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think the best results they've gotten so far is like um, uh, two bloody noses and a broken arm or something like that, right? Because at a certain point within close quarters like that, people just get, you know, mean. Um but the point is, is that by having this type of technology available, all of a sudden, we're going to be able to explore everything within our solar system very easily, right? And then once that technology is developed and, and is furthered, it will open up, I think, at a certain point, intergalactic travel, which would be freaking amazing. Well, and that's, and that's what the theory the theory is, is, is was originally aimed towards intergalactic travel. I mean, this is, this is theoretical. They are going to be doing experiments, but these experiments are going to be about you know, a very controlled little model type thing. Uh, you know, we still could be a really long way off from something like that, but just the fact that it's you know, theoretically possible and they're actually going to lab with this is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the next I think we'll be able to to get over this hurdle. The next big hurdle that we have to get over is energy. Right. That was that that is a big one because originally when they theorized this, they said that you would need some kind of exotic matter that had mass approximately the mass of Jupiter. So like the big breakthrough now with this with this new one that has people excited is they they think they figured out a way to uh, to greatly shrink the the energy matter requirements to something the size of a satellite, right? So, um, which is a, just a tremendous uh, uh, achievement in in the theoretical uh, you know uh, universe. But we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. I'm, definitely, people are going to be paying attention to this. I'm always a little wary of of science news because it tends to be sensationalistic. So I, I you know I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but the, the actual, the actual theoretical stuff is really exciting is, is really interesting. And it might not mean that this is going to happen again, like next month or anything like that. But you know, we, we could be seeing some real breakthroughs within our lifetimes and that would be awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the collider, right. I think, uh, is that up in, Where's where's the 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 large um, collider uh, located at? In Switzerland. Yeah, 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 Switzerland. You know, there was so much um, drama around that, right? Because people are like, oh, there was a chance they could blow up the Earth, <laughs> and it's cool, but I just haven't heard of of like a whole bunch of really cool stuff coming out of there yet, right? You mean besides the the discovery of possible discovery of the Higgs boson particle? Come on. Possible. Oh no, they think they think they confirmed it very recently. But no, it is it was sad. You know, we could have had that in Texas, and and no, they cut funding for it, so it got sent to Switzerland. Hey, we got F one. <sighs> that was the best response ever. <laughs> or oh, you're not ex- okay. <laughs> that was that was that was well well played, sir. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it, it it is, and you know, it's the kind of thing that hopefully will help the public imagination, help, you know, the public support science. I think that's very cool. Uh, again, don't want to overstate it, but it's science is awesome. So uh, the other, by the way, the other Michael Dorr thing I wanted to mention in light of this kind of real life science stuff, isn't quite as exciting maybe to people, but they're talking about doing a possible warp spinoff. 
That would be cool because you can't really do data, right? Because data, uh, Brett Spiner, old, gray, and pudgy right. now, right? So that's not going to work. But you know, I think I think the character most loved other than data probably would have been Worf. I mean, like people loved Riker and they loved Picard, but those are more authority figures and less, you know, lovable characters. And I think Worf was more of, and he was an, another character who um, extended into other uh, series such as um, Deep Space Nine and stuff like that. So you just, yeah, we need to have a children's book now. Worf, the lovable Klingon. What? He was lovable. I'm he, he taught the world that Klingons weren't all about war, that I'm, they were sometimes about love. It's true. And he, he, he loved a lot. Or, he did. Um, the other show that I thought was interesting coming out is uh, Joss Whedon's S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Yes, we talked about this one time, um, I think recently, but Joss Whedon has pretty much been given the reins of the Marvel media universe. Marvel is very happy of the fact that Joss Whedon made them $1.5 billion, which I would be very happy with also. So Marvel has pretty much said, hey, Joss, um, here are the reins for the our entire universe as far as, like, media is concerned, right? And so he's kind of, he's not directing all the movies, but he's like executive producing and overseeing the movies, right? Because usually like in in the comic book realm, you'll have like one guy who oversees each sort of genre, right? So Marvel has, there's like the Marvel Knights there, they're kind of R-rated stuff, and there's a guy who who kind of oversees that realm and the ultimate Marvel universe, and there's a guy who kind of oversees the ultimate Marvel universe. So each Marvel niche has its own I don't know if you call him a producer or something like that, but some a guy who's kind of responsible for that world or that that existence. Mm-hmm. And in keeping in that same vein, Marvel's saying, okay, we now have this this media world, this world of, of television and movies. Joss, would you be in charge of that? And and he said yes. And so this is the first TV show that we're going to see. And from what I understand, it's not going to feature like superheroes and supervillains too prominently. Correct. Right, it's going to be more, not like CSI, but more of a um, a uh... Agent Coulson. <laughs> it's going to be more people, you know, human people who exist in this world that has superheroes and supervillains and all this other stuff. But they're the, you know, they're they're the other guys. They're the regular folks. You know, of course, they work for Shield, so they're not completely regular. But it's like the spy type people. And here's the shitty thing. They killed Agent Coulson, and I would totally watch an Agent Coulson show. Oh, I know. Definitely. Did you ever see that little short he did? Something happened on the way to Thor's hammer? <laughs> no, I need to check that out. It's really cool. It's about him like drop, you know, stopping at a, um, a convenience store to pick up a, uh, a Twinkie, and um, it gets robbed. Nice. And so it's, it's really cool. Yeah, so anyway, I'm looking forward to the S.H.I.E.L.D. show. It, it should be coming out. I mean, it got greenlit this year, so next by next year, I think, is when they're hoping it comes out. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, other news, I have never seen Community, and I hear I'm a bad person for never seeing Community, but it's only available on Hulu, and I don't have Hulu. But uh, I'm supposed to watch Community. It is supposed to be awesome. Everybody at work, everybody around says Community is a terrific show. One of the things that I have seen that is community-related, though, is they had a fake Doctor Who, basically a Doctor Who parody, uh, which is called Inspector Spacetime. Uh, have you ever seen Community? Oh, yes. I've seen all of Community. Okay. Well, see, there there you go. You, you are a better person than me. Um, but uh, I, I really want to see it. I really do. And it's just, you know, I don't watch too much television. Uh, but so the guy who played 
Inspector Space Time, uh, made a web se- a Kickstarter for Inspector Space Time. Uh, of course, they got a cease and desist to not use Inspector Space Time, which is weird because it's a parody, whatever, whatever. But so what they did is they continued with a Kickstarter, but instead it's called Untitled Web Series about a space traveler who can also travel through time. And those web shorts have started coming out now. The first two are out and online. And, you know, if you're a Doctor Who fan, and I hear if you're a community fan, they're kind of funny. Um, so, you know, check that out if you ever get a chance. Uh, and if you are Inspector Space Time or Doctor Who fan in particular. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, other news. Do you have other television news? Uh, no specific television news off the top of my head. Um, uh, everyone tells me I need to watch, like, Breaking Bad and The Wired. But you're right. I... I I don't watch that much TV. I've been right. bombing through that 70s show just because I love that 70s show. But um, No, so on my list of things that I'm supposed to watch, yes, Breaking Bad, The Wire, Mad Men, uh, Downton Abbey, Community, and there's one or two more, and it's just I haven't had a chance to watch any of them. But someday, maybe I will in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I had some comics news real quick. I just haven't been happy with the whole Avengers vs. X-Men series. I don't think it's been great in any way shape or form so i actually canceled it i was just gonna say that um my my subscription it's almost over but i don't feel like paying for to read the rest of it honestly uh i've been looking at some older stuff recently and i started picking up transmetropolitan by warren ellis which is terrific it's an older you know it was it came out during the time when i really wasn't reading comics so i missed it in its entirety but it is a completed series the graphic novels are all out and it follows the the uh adventures of a journalist named spider jerusalem in in it's this future kind of town thing and it, it's it's hilarious uh i'll do a better review of it at some point but i highly recommend it uh i still i'm still keeping with my dc subscriptions dc is doing another weird thing this month though they're coming out with all issue number zeros for all of their series what so yes so it's also this month it's either interrupting the storylines you know that that were going last month but they have so this month it's all issue number zeros um so and it's going back to try to apparently trying to fill in some of the backstory of stuff we missed about the the superheroes backgrounds in this in this new you know rebooted dc universe so it, theoretically, it will inform us something about what what happened to the people in this instantiation of the universe. The only and that's fine, but I think having this kind of, you know they could have done that in trade or in other ways. I think interrupting the series was a really weird uh, trying to get people to buy the comics kind of decision. It seems completely marketing related in my mind. Um, I, I have I have picked up with some of them. Uh, have not read them yet, uh, but uh, I got the Phantom Stranger number zero. That's going to be a new series going forward. The Phantom Stranger number zero was not very good. Uh, the Phantom Stranger is this, uh, you know, mysterious, magic, powerful magic user of the DC universe that shows up all over the place. And one of his, I think, one of the appealing things about him is you know nothing about him. He is the Phantom Stranger. He is this mysterious thing even when they used dc used to do way back you know in the 80s 90s they used to do secret origins even when they did a secret origins on him they had like five different stories of how who he might be which i thought was more interesting and in this number zero they chose one and i don't think they even chose i think they chose one of the more boring ones honestly um and i just i just wasn't happy with it one of the ones that i'm excited about though is the they're relaunching the sword of sorcery uh title 
And that is was a general fantasy title that they used to have back in like the seventies. If you knew, uh, you know, Fritz Lieber's Fafford and the Gray Mauser series, which was a, a fantasy book novel series, which was a classic, really great. That came out in that sort of sorcery uh, series as well as a few other things. And with this one, they're relaunching Amethyst, which was that I talked about Amethyst before, which was this eighties kind of magical girl heroine. And Amethyst is is currently the main. There's multiple stories in it apparently, but that's going to be the main one. So I'm excited about that. I'll let people know how that is when I've had a chance to read it. Um, other than that, that's that's basically where I've been on comics recently. Yeah, I'm trying to kind of catch up with some of my comics. Um, I use um, the uh, the uh, was it Comics X Com- or X- Com- Comicsology? Yeah, Comicsology. I use that a lot on my tablet, um, and I'm catching up with some of the Kevin Smith stuff because. Um, he does this uh, Comic-Con theater where uh, Ralph Garman, they read one of his comics, and Ralph Garman does um, voices for the comic. So he does Batman as Adam West, but sort of a dark Adam West, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he does like Al Pacino as um, Maxi Zeus. Um, Sean Connery is uh, Commissioner Gordon, and uh, Will Wynn is uh, the, uh, the Joker and stuff, which sounds kind of goofy in theory, but it comes off really cool. So... I've been reading through the Kevin Smith stuff, um, Cacophony, and, and what have you. So, right. was, and and what I like about the Kevin Smith stuff, I'm, I'm a Kevin Smith fan in general, but I like how he kind of humanizes um, Batman. So, in one of them, Batman's uh, going to check on on Arkham Asylum, um, and he's he's going to Arkham Asylum, and he stops in the Batcave, and Alfred gives him like a tuna sandwich. And as Alfred is kind of reading to him over the radio as he's driving to Arkham Asylum, what's the uh, the dealio? You know, what's you know? Oh, the roads are blocked off; no one can get in there. And you see uh, the uh, the bat. Uh, the, he's in the bat boat, and like flies are hitting it, and more flies. You know, as he's getting closer, you can tell like Arkham Asylum's just surrounded in mosquitoes and stuff like that. The entire time, he's eating this tuna sandwich. And I know that sounds like a kind of a really dumb thing, but I love how it humanizes Batman because he's not a robot, you know, he needs to eat, right? And but he's a guy who's so obsessed with what he's doing, of course he's like, you know, eating while driving, trying to, to get where he's going. Um and he got a lot of crap for one of his storylines. There was a big explosion and and I think it's like Robin or Nightwing's like asking him like, You okay? And Batman's like, Yeah I'm okay. I just experienced a little bit of a bladder spasm, right? Basically saying, I pissed myself a little bit, right? <laughs> and and every, it, people are like up in arms, you know, oh, Batman wouldn't piss himself. And I'm like, it humanizes him, right? It's that whole theory that, you know, courage is not the absence of fear, but doing what is right in the presence of fear, right? And so the fact that Batman, you know, he, even if there's a massive explosion and he does just pee himself a little bit, doesn't matter because he's going to get out and do it again the next day, right? And I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's an aspect of, of character writing that I enjoy because I feel that too many writers, you know, especially like with Batman and a lot of characters nowadays, make the characters just too dark and broody, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's been very overdone. And and it's being done, you know, it's being done to Spider-Man, Superman, you know, characters who weren't even dark and broody to begin with. It's being done... Um, it's being done just because it's sort of popular. Uh, so I, I, that's what I enjoy, uh, you know, characters kind of being brought into a new light in that fashion. 
Yeah, I, you know, reading AVX, I'm I I'm just kind of tired of that. Those stories, they're just not that interesting to me. Uh, it, it's basically retelling the same thing over and over again. And you know, of course, super. There's a certain amount of that in everything. But yes, and I think you need to have those kind of unique looks at characters and and unique takes on them in order just to keep the series and the characters still compelling over time. Yeah, that's my thing. When when they announced Avengers versus uh, X Men. I sighed because it's so obvious they're trying to recreate the feeling of uh, Civil War, right? Because they did the, Civil War was interesting and fun, and I enjoyed Civil War. And because they did so well, they're sort of like, well, how can we do another Civil War, right? And it just didn't come across as uh, a genuine storyline that they wanted to tell, right? It came across as, hey. We did so well with uh, the Civil War. How can we recreate that? So we'll create another Civil War. Only this time it's not, you know, registration versus anti-registration. It's uh, the Avengers versus the the X-Men. And it just feels cheap. Yeah. And and, and again, you know, they, in at least one title, they they were happy. They're like, this is just fighting. There's no plot in this. They're like, well, yeah, I shouldn't have bought that title, really, is what that tells me. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm just I'm just a little bit disappointed because here's the thing. The the difference between Marvel and DC. I think Marvel does better overarching stories, but I think DC does better complete characters, right? Like I've never I I've read a couple of the um the uh, Infinite Crisis stuff that they've been releasing recently for for DC and I hated them, right? Like they had one recently they released, and it was um, Superboy Prime, and Superboy Prime um, gets kicked back to Earth, the real Earth, and is kicked back to his parents' place, and his parents' place are, what are you doing? And they show the cover of Infinite Crisis, the cover of the book that you have. And they're like, what have you been doing? And it creates this very like awkward meta feeling mm-hmm. that right. you know, Superboy Prime exists in the real world, and his family's been reading Infinite Crisis, and they're like, you're Superboy Prime, you're doing evil in this comic book and i'm just sitting there reading this going the fuck am i reading yeah and you know that that particular take of you know breaking the fourth wall people have done that before it's rarely done well um i mean i'm not saying that it hasn't been done well or it can't be done well but i it it, if you're gonna do it you gotta do it really well and and no they they don't in general and but here's the thing even though i because like marvel did um secret war uh, Marvel did the um, Infinity Gauntlet, um, you know the uh, the Civil War. They've done, I think, a lot of very good overarching stories that inv- involve their entire universe. World War Hulk, freaking awesome, right? I loved World War Hulk and all that good stuff. So I think Marvel does a better job at these massive, you know, storylines that involve all the characters. Which is sad, because actually one of my favorite of those types of events actually came from DC, and it was the very first Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it was amazing and, and heartbreaking and different and exciting. It was really the one of the very first um, giant uh, crossovers like that in comics. It came it was in, in uh, the, the mid-'80s, and everything they've done since then has basically been a rehash or retelling or redo of Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
and hasn't really done anything new or groundbreaking or interesting. And and while, yeah, Marvel has done some really good stuff. I mean, I remember, you know, as a kid reading Secret Wars and uh, Secret Wars 2 and, and all of those those other, other series, and they were great. And but that's the thing. I think I think that's what Marvel's going to start suffering from because they did so well Civil War. It feels like they're just starting to rehash it. And I, do, I want them to learn the lesson from DC that you're absolutely right. It's the the Infinite Crisis did so well that they just rehash it over and over again. And it seems like all the time they're having an Infinite Crisis, and right. and it's just the the goal of Infinite Crisis originally was to reduce the number of worlds that they had right because if you read I I got this massive DC book that that goes through all the different like parallel worlds and stuff yep. and there's like literally hundreds almost thousands of them right with all mm-hmm. these tiny minute differences and the goal was to collapse them and have a smaller universe but Infinite Crisis they've done so many of them that they haven't actually reduced the number of parallel worlds no they they spread them out again and yeah uh, yeah so yeah you're right. So, so my my point is, is that I think Marvel does a better job of these overarching stories, but DC does a better job of creating a complete character. Like when you're introduced to a character, he has a history that you get to know about the reason why he's doing things. Like you know, Superman from Krypton, you know, has you know, the world blew up. Batman watches parents die. Barbara Gordon, you know, daughter of of, of uh, Commissioner Gordon. You know, all the characters there have these complete stories, and I feel like Marvel. We're just kind of introduced to random characters that get their story developed over time, but not always very well. Like the first introduction of Wolverine, you have no idea who he is. All of a sudden, he just jumps in, becomes a major character, and we didn't find out his history till like fairly recently. You know, his background, who he was, and all the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I feel like they do that for a lot of the Marvel characters. Yeah, I agree. I completely and totally agree. Let me look. Uh, so the other thing, I wanted to mention something about a couple of books uh, that I've, I've either read or heard about recently. Um, did you hear Stephen King is writing a sequel to The Shining? No, I did not hear that. Chapter one is out online. I think it's going to be coming out next year sometime. It's called Dr. Sleep, and it follows... Danny Torrance, uh, who was the kid in The Shining, uh, as an adult, you know, suffering from both being haunted still and uh, and you know from the alcoholism of his father and stuff like that, where basically he works at these old folks' home and like helps them pass on apparently, but there's a group of sounds kind of vampire-like people who feed off of psychic energy traveling around the country looking for kids with The Shining and uh, and, and basically kill them and, and torture them to death so that they can be immortal or something of that line, along those lines. And uh, and Danny somehow got, comes into contact with one of the children uh, who they're hunting. And apparently that is that is the basic premise of that book. I don't know. It doesn't, I mean, this is, we were just talking about stuff like this, like with, you know, the... the own stuff right you know it, it, it is he telling the story because there's a legitimate story to be told or is he just doing something to kind of rehash the glory of an old character i don't know stephen king is an odd you know he ties in all of his books somehow right the dark tower series was uh in particular one of these things that mentions every single book he's ever done in some indirect fashion right Mm -hmm. so like he he has his universe he is he is the god of his of his world worlds basically and and i don't it's kind of hard to say uh 
you know, people have asked him, I think he said, people have asked him what happened. And he's like, well, he started thinking about it. He's like, well, this is what I think would happen. So he decided to write it. So I don't, he's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. It does not sound like a, right, especially recently, he, he really moved away from the standard horror genre into this other, you know, alternate reality, other world kind of genre type thing. And that's what this sounds like, right? This isn't a, this isn't specifically a horror novel in the classic Stephen King manner. This sounds more like his newer stuff, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, I've never really been that big of a Stephen uh, King fan. I mean, I've read like one or two of his works. I've always been much more into like the Asimov stuff. I used to. I mean, I read everything. I used to be a big Stephen King fan. I I stopped reading his books when he retired the first time a long time ago. Uh, and so I haven't actually read very many of his most recent books, uh, but definitely all of his classic horror stuff. So I'll, I will probably check this out. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going in with, with humongous expectations, but it, you know, it might be interesting. The other book I wanted to mention, um, a couple of days ago, Beck mentioned a book on Facebook, as she recommended, which was called Libriomancer by Jim Hines. And I'd seen it crop, crop up in my Amazon um recommendations but i avoided it so and the reason i avoided it is because i'd read a book with a very similar premise to this book and it was just not very good so i was like eh, i don't know if i want to do this but you know i decided to check it out so i picked it up yesterday and i have to say it was it was a pretty good book i was really impressed uh it's libriomancer by jim hines it's the first book of a series called magic x libris um it is an urban fantasy type novel where the main character is a member of the secret organization that was founded by Gutenberg, basically, where they use books to power their magic. Uh, and there's, and you know, it, it has all these different other types of uh, urban fantasy standard type things, other races, other magic stuff. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it, it was, I was really pleasantly surprised. So good recommendation there. Yeah, she's actually been telling me a lot about also, and and I've read some of the books that she enjoys. Um, I, I am guilty of not always reading as much as I should. Like I'm only halfway through the Steve Jobs biography, um, and and I try to get through as much as I can. But you know, time is is kind of limited, and there's so many interesting you know sources of of entertainment to to be had and stuff. So I don't know how you make so much time to to read all those books. I read fast. That's pretty much my my only. Uh... My yeah, saving grace. You and my wife both read really fast. I, I've tried to develop a faster reading speed, but I just haven't gotten there. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I recommend it. it it's a, it's a fun book. I liked it quite a bit. Um, so we're actually running surprisingly. Well, maybe not surprisingly. We said this might happen. Pretty short on time. Uh, I don't think. Let's let's talk a little bit about Guild Wars, the first Guild Wars, and then maybe save Guild Wars two for next time. What do you think? Sure. So um, I was going to mention I, we we mentioned Guild Wars a little bit earlier uh, in the in the podcast. Guild Wars first came out in 2005, and it was it was really interesting for a few ways for a few, for a few reasons when it came out. One is at the time the graphics were just gorgeous. They were they were really 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 uh, beautiful beautiful graphics, uh, and and I know that drew a lot of people I know to the game. So Guild Wars is uh, it is developed by ArenaNet. ArenaNet is a subsidiary of NCSoft, which is a Korean company, and NCSoft is the distributor for uh, Guild Wars. So uh, they they and they own they've owned a bunch of other companies. They're one of the owners of Paragon Studios, who are shutting it down. Uh, and but ArenaNet was founded by former employees of Blizzard, actually. 
So they and, and those guys had helped develop Warcraft, Starcraft, Diablo, and Diablo 2. And one of the things they also developed was the original Battle.net, right? And so they took that when they made Guild Wars. And actually one of the really uh, useful things about Guild Wars was they did some really innovative stuff related to networking. So it wasn't stuff that you would necessarily know if you were if you were if you were just like a, a casual gamer just running and marching it, but uh, running it. But they actually did some really neat stuff with with their whole networking system that made you know problems like latency and, and all these problems that we used to have uh, go away when we played Guild Wars. So it was it was a great, a really interesting, innovative game in, in that sense. Um, it was also different for a few other reasons. Uh, people always argued whether or not it was an MMO, a true MMO, because it wasn't an open world. The cities, that's where you interacted with other people, but as soon as you stepped out into the world, everything was instanced. So basically all the actual adventuring and running around and stuff you did was all instanced uh, of some sort. You could only pick uh, – human was the only race that you had. They had an interesting uh, – they had some lore, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, you could pick a human and you picked different professions basically for your, your, person, to, your, your person to choose. Original ones were warrior, ranger, monk, elementalist, necromancer, and mesmer. And they – there was the that first original campaign and rather than do subscription fees, every so often they would release updates. So first they had Guild Wars, which eventually became known as Guild Wars Prophecies, the very first one. Then they came out with Factions, then they came out with Nightfall, and then finally Eye of the North leading up to Guild Wars 2. But there was no monthly subscription fee, which is also pretty interesting. Um, so I, yeah, I played Guild Wars some. Uh, Holly, Holly and I both played Guild Wars. Uh, really fun character creation. Had, had, had a good time with it. Uh, one of the decisions that they made was you actually reached max level very quickly, like before you were done with the campaign, well before you were done with the campaign, and max level was 20. And once you reached level 20, you could still improve your character, but that was mostly done by getting new and interesting skills. And that's the way that you really improved, was through practice and through skills. And there were a couple of other things you can do, but those were the big ones. Um, every, uh, and the lore was, so when you start on the tutorial, you start out in this country called Ascalon. And in Ascalon... You, um, you know, it's this really idyllic kind of place. Uh, you know, there's there's the little girl Gwen playing in the field, and you can bring her a little ca- a little carpet piece, which she wears as a red cape, and it's happy. And you run around and do these little adventures and stuff like that through the tutorial. Uh, and you you meet the prince, Prince Rurik, and his fiance, and you at 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 the point you end the tutorial, the Char, which is this race of these kind of they're often described as feline like but I, I i don't know if that's really an accurate description uh they're they're, they're these kind of bestial uh, humanoid creatures uh unleash this ritual call and, and which they eventually call the searing which completely destroys ascalon's wall and and destroys most of its cities and the event the searing destroys everything the little girl gwen you find her cape, you know, and and you don't know what happened to her, uh, and and all these things, uh, these these things happen, and your you help to your job then at that point is to help the people try to survive. So the king of Ascalon at the time wants to retake Ascalon. Rurik realizes that no, this isn't going to happen. We need to get our people out of here. So the king says no. So Rurik and you and the people take off, and you end up going to Krita. and and anyway, there's this whole series of adventures and. Uh, and lore that happens, and, and these these things, events that happen that 
directly are influenced and referenced in Guild Wars 2. So you don't actually have to know any of this stuff when you play a Guild Wars 2, but if you're like definitely a, a person who's really interested in the story and really interested in the plot and really interested in that kind of stuff, it actually does add add quite a bit. Because it's really, I mean, of course, BJ, you've been all around Guild Wars 2, but it's really interesting to go to Lion's Arch and like dive into the water and see the ruins of the city when, when in Guild Wars 1, you were in the city, right? So it, it's this very interesting resonance there between Guild Wars and Guild Wars in Guild Wars 2 that happens there. So I will admit that I played a little bit of the original Guild Wars, but I didn't play much of it, and this is going to sound really dumb. But the reason I was kind of put off from the original Guild Wars, uh, there was no jump button. That is true. There was no <laughs> jump button in the original Guild Wars. And it really kind of just threw me off. And I, you, you're right. It didn't really feel like much of an MMO because everything was instanced and, and you'd have to invite someone in order for them to be in your, the same instance as you were and stuff. And so uh, th- that didn't really bother me per se, but it just it 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 felt like it was missing something for my taste. It felt like it was a, a, a bit of a more niche genre than, than what I was used to playing. Um, but I've been having a ton of fun with Guild Wars 2. Yeah, Guild, yeah, Guild Wars 2 is fun. Uh, Guild Wars, at the time it came out, it won you know MMO of the Year 2005. It, and every actually every single expansion that's come out has done really well on Metacritic. They're all in the high 80s or 90s. Um, yeah, and it, it was a fun series. Uh, our guild was the Catalogers of Ascalon, uh, but and we enjoyed it. Uh, it. We had some fun with it for a while. Uh, but yeah, the stories the stories came out. I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about Guild Wars 2 next time. Uh, one of the things that uh, that NCSoft has done is it's trying to release a series of three books that kind of tell you what happened between Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more next time. They've released two of the three. Uh, and and it kind of catches you up. It says, you know, what kind of things happened uh, that that now the char and the humans seem to be trying to, you know, have a truce of some sort. And you know, how how did that happen? So yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Guild Wars One, I think, was a great game. Um, of course, now it is obviously looks a bit a bit uh, a bit dated, but it is it was it was a lot of fun. And definitely, if you're a lore type person, I would definitely check out the books and check out the. Uh, you know the storyline for Guild Wars One because it really does add to. It's funny that you you know one of your quest givers in Guild Wars uh, is a evil vengeful ghost in Guild Wars Two trying to kill you. <laughs> and I think they do a good job of of kind of weaving that stuff in and out. There is a ton of lore in Guild Wars Two. I, I try to keep up with it, but there's a just a ton of stuff going on that is is can be hard you know for for someone yes. who doesn't you know dedicate a lot of time for understanding all the ins and outs and stuff. Right, and and with Guild Wars two, so far we've only seen Ascalon, or basically that that area that was once Ascalon, and and uh, that that continent. We haven't seen the other continents of from factions and Nightfall yet. You've heard hints about what's happened there, but my guess is those are going to be coming out in expansions as well for Guild Wars two. The world feels massive. The world does feel massive, yeah, and and uh, and it's going to get bigger. So, yeah. I. Will will Guild Wars two? Uh, do you think it'll topple the giant that is World of Warcraft? No, no. And and, and part of that's because people. I mean, World of Warcraft is just has its audience kind of dug in there, right? I think it'll right. do well. Yeah, I agree. But you know, I, it, it seemed for a while that there was a, a sort of a king of the hill, and then another big one came along that toppled it, right? So we started with Ultima Online, that was king of the hill. EverQuest came along toppled that one. 
World of Warcraft came along, toppled EverQuest, right? And then World of Warcraft has just been sitting on top of the hill, very comfortable in that position for the longest time now. Right, and you know, there's been signs of, of it, uh, of definitely it's lost, uh, it's lost subscriptions and like and, and a large amount of subscriptions, but it's lost, like just its loss is more than it's it's more than anything that people have been able to generate as far as numbers, right? It oh, had, absolutely. It had twelve, thirteen million at its height. And it lost, you know, one one to two million since since that time, and that's still, you know, all of the subscriptions for Star Wars fit in that loss if you wanted to look at it that way. Um, and it's still doing much better than than a lot of other games. I think Guild Wars Two is doing pretty well from what I've heard. I mean, certainly it's been very well received, very well reviewed. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that more next time. I think sounds good. Um, any other last closing out statements you want to make? Be excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other. At work, I am known for like having these little quips. I do. I, I didn't even know this, but like I was kind of put on the spot. And one of the my, one of my peers said, "All right, Ben, close us out with one of your famous quotes." And I'm like, uh, 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 and I kind of froze. <laughs> and so, because I didn't know, apparently, I was known for doing this stuff. So I said, "This is what I said," because I wanted to do kind of a Star Wars or a Star Trek quote, but I wanted to expand on it. So I said, "All right, everyone." Live long and prosper in your endeavors and and you know your future uh, doings or something and and it it came off better than what I'm saying right here but apparently it it lived up to the expectation everyone's like oh that's excellent I was like really so. <laughs> um so yeah uh, that will be it for uh, coming out of the basement as always you can reach us on Twitter at cotb1 find us online at comingoutofthebasement.com and we are a proud member of the network interface you can find us there or at our uh, default website if you have any requests for opinions or just want to tell us you know hey great job on the podcast or what the hell are you guys talking about you can send an email to podcast at coming out of the basement.com and we look forward to talking to you next time thank you for listening goodbye everyone Interface disabled. Goodbye.